Hey, good morning. That ended abruptly. I, um, did you know you can find that stuff four inches deep under your soil like that? It was, I was watching it. I was like, there's not pottery under our, our grass that, that shallow. But anyhow, thank you for joining us. If it's your first time here on a Sunday morning, uh, my name's Nathan, and we're so glad you joined us. Those of you online, thank you for joining us. I actually, I have news that might make those watching online want to show up here in person. I don't know if you noticed when, when you came in, we, all the drinking fountains are gone. And we actually have a water bottle refilling station on the, on the north side. And we're pacing ourselves next week or in the next couple of weeks, you'll see one on the south side. So let's call it a day. Let's close in prayer. That was mon- monumental. No, please thank Jeff Laidley for that. He's been working on that. And so, <clears throat> well, one day... There are two disciples of Jesus Christ, and this isn't just any day. One day, these two disciples are walking along, and this happens to be the day that God, he he raised Jesus from the dead. This is the day of resurrection. And so these two disciples are walking along, and and it's interesting what we read in Luke 24, because as they're walking along, um, they had gotten news. They had gotten news that these women showed up at the tomb of Jesus, and it was empty. He just wasn't there. He was gone. And, and, and they, they had other great news for him. But these, these two disciples were perplexed. And, and some of it, had as, as weird as it sounds today, for them in that day, um, women didn't have credibility. And so they're, they're, take, they're hearing all this, and, and it's just nonsense to them. Now, we know one of the disciples, his name was Cleopas. But the other disciple, we don't know. And there are theories, you know, they could be relatives of Cleopas. Um, some wondered if it was the, uh, John, the disciple. But for this morning, I want you to do something. I want us to do something. I want you to imagine that other disciple is you. And you're walking along, and you've gotten this news, and it sounded like nonsense, and, and you just can't really understand, because what you've just seen a few days earlier was, was horrific. And it wasn't at all what you thought it was going to be. So these two disciples are walking along, and in Luke chapter 24, we read this. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. Now, you can imagine, they had known about the arrest of Jesus. They had maybe known about the trial. They had watched as he was crucified and put to death, and that was the last they'd seen of him. But it just didn't line up with what they had heard from him and experienced of him before this last few days. And so they're walking along, they're talking about all these things. And Luke tells us as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. Now we don't know the reason that they were kept from recognizing him. Maybe, maybe God arranged for that. Maybe it was because of all that was going on and all the emotion. They just couldn't see because they had other things on their mind and in their vision. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. Verse 18, one of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And at that point, Jesus could have told the whole story. And instead, Jesus, it's, it's like going to your own funeral to hear what people have to say. What things? What things? I'll, I'll, I'd like to hear this. What things? About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, 
powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. Now, remember what they'd seen? I mean, they'd heard sermons. They, they had seen miracles. They had seen the healings. They'd seen all that. Let, let me jump forward to today. You step out of the sandals of that other disciple into your shoes right now. You remember when faith and church and maybe experiencing Jesus, it was just all glory. You remember those days? But listen to what they said next. The chief priests and our our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. And they knew that after three days, the spirit was gone in their eyes. But did you catch that phrase? But we had hoped. But we had hoped. Have you said that? You said that before? I, I would think actually the question for most of us isn't have we said that, it's when we've said that. When you've said that, how have you finished it? But I had hoped. But we had hoped. Because isn't it really, really, really easy to get up every single day and you go, oh, but I'd hoped. I mean, yeah, I'm going to step forward into this day. I'm going to walk forward into this, into this week, into this season of life. But I had hoped differently than what I'm, what I'm seeing in front of me. And I'm not just talking about the surface hopes. I'm not just talking about how I woke up yesterday and I had hoped that Michigan would defeat Michigan State. <laughs> and if you say anything to me about it in service, please just be tender. I'm in a raw spot right now, okay? <laughs> I'm not talking about that kind of hope. I'm not talking about like the hope I still have that one day I'm going to wake up and they're going to discover double stuff Oreos lower your cholesterol. <laughs> they help weight loss. They lower blood pressure. I just, it's coming. I know it. Hang on, everybody. All right. Last week, I had hoped. I had hoped we'd have a water slide into our baptismal. Remember, that's been like my dream for this place. No, I'm not, I'm not talking about the things that would be nice and they would be fun. I'm talking about those, just the gut-turning, heart-wrenching, wind-cage-squeezing hopes that we have. You know, you, you fell in love. And then maybe you fell out of love and it wasn't what you thought. You got that exciting job that you thought was going to be an opportunity. It was going to be a stepping stone and it's just been misery. You had hoped. You know, and you went for the medical test and you had hoped for a clean bill of health. And it was a diagnosis. Maybe those are the hopes you've had. For me personally... Uh, I was joking with somebody that I'm ready for October to be done because October's just been like that. And I know it has nothing to do with October. But October has surfaced a lot of I had hoped in my own life. A few weeks ago, it was I had hoped. I had hoped that the very first childhood friend I ever had in Colorado, I hoped we would be talking about his healing instead of me doing his funeral. I, I, I had hoped as a church that we'd just bounce back from the pandemic much easier, much more quickly than this. I had hoped. I had hoped that even in the church, not to see people get hurt. I had hoped not to see some people walk away. It, pastoring, I had hoped it'd be a lot more warm fuzzies 
instead of the difficulties that it's been. And I guess I had just hoped that as we talk about redemption, we talk about sanctification and God making us more like his son on a daily basis, that it would just go a little faster than this, Lord. But it's been like a slow trickle. You know those hopes? Yeah, we had hoped. What did these disciples hope for? They had hoped that as Jesus came along, as they walked with him, as they'd followed him, they had hoped that, that maybe just as they tried to translate and interpret all that he said and all they'd seen him do, that maybe this would be the savior, but it wasn't just that he was the savior, but how he was going to save. That he was going to somehow overcome and conquer that iron fist of Rome that they had to deal with every single day. See, they weren't just hoping for what or who, they were hoping for how it was going to happen. And this was definitely not it. They had hoped. See, really, what they had is they had dust in their eyes. They couldn't see. You know, we've been talking about gathering dust, and a few weeks ago, we started with this idea that we, it's really, really easy to let our Bibles gather dust. And so the hope is just that, that you'd open your Bible at some point over these few weeks. But then last week, we talked about even, even our hearts gather dust, and we can take that Bible, and we can open it up, and we can still have dust and dirt all over the heart. And we can throw the Bible at people. And we can, we can actually use it as a weapon. But see, it's not just clearing the dust off the Bible. We're asking them to clear the dirt and the dust out of our hearts as we engage his word. But it's the dust in our eyes as we look at all that's in front of us. Because isn't it? It's just, it's just a fact of life. That we all look and we see dimly. I mean, we get dust in our eyes and obstacles in our path. And when we get dust in our eyes, you know what happens? We prioritize something. We prioritize our pain over our perspective, don't we? Have you ever gotten something in your eye? It's like, look, if I get back around to seeing, fine, that'll be great. But right now, I just need the discomfort to go away. Don't we do that? I came across an article. This was a few years ago. A woman went in for a, you know, we mean well. You see it in this account. This woman went in to have a surgery on a cataract. And so she's going in, and as the, the doctors got in there, they discovered this, there had been this blue mass in her eye. And so they thought they were operating on this. As they got in there, you know what they discovered? A mass of 27 contact lenses in her eye. Yeah, see, that's where we should close in prayer today, right there, huh? Just send you out of here like... That's what I learned at church this week. Yeah, 27 contact lenses. And the thing is, she wasn't trying to do harm. She was trying to see better. You and I get up in the morning, and all we're trying to do is see better. But in the process, trying to see better, things got worse. And we all can look around at life and go, I just had hoped. I had hoped things would look different. Well, they finish telling Jesus all these things. And I can't help thinking he's just sitting there smiling a little bit as he walks alongside them down this dusty road. And then he replies. And and this isn't exactly uh, comforting to hear from our Savior and our Lord, Jesus. Here's what he says. He said to them, how foolish you are. Thank you, Jesus. How foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. And as harsh as it sounds, you can trust the heart that it's coming from. 
I mean, that hurts to hear, but he's reminding them of something. He's reminding you and I of something. You guys, you know, you actually, this was pointed at. The prophets pointed at this. If you open the scriptures, guys, you, you, would, you would see it, he's saying to them. And he says to us, if you open up, you'll see that there's some difficulty and there's some pain and there's some suffering because that's the result of sin and how it's tainted our, not just ourselves, I mean, our entire world. He says, you know what? All that dust in your eyes, that's what sin has done to this entire world. And that's what's in front of you. And that's what you're, what you're seeing and you're focused on. He says in verse 26, did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? Did you catch that wording there? Did not? Did not means remember. Remember those scriptures you know. And some of those disciples, they knew the scriptures. And as the wheels start turning, perhaps they went, oh, yeah. Yeah, that was in there. Yeah, they did point at that. Oh, I do get it. See, they had remembered the glory of all of this, of Jesus' ministry. But they had forgotten about the suffering that had been pointed at. And we do too. We absolutely do. Verse 27. In beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Now, that's a lot of explanation, which tells you this was a long, long walk for them, okay? But he began to walk through. Now, look at how that sentence ends. He explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Now, that's not really where you and I start when we open the Bible, do we? See, when I open the Bible and when you open the Bible, it's really, really easy to start not with him, but ourselves. Don't we? And, and a lot of times what we do is we like shut our eyes pick a page, oh, it's not really relevant to my life. And we set it down. Am I the only one who's done that? A bunch of liars right now. Okay, no. So yeah, well, this is what we do. It's so easy to do it. And a lot of times what we do, it's, it's, I've heard it referred to by a guy named Brian Chapel, the killer bees. We open the Bible and you know what our takeaway is it? The way we read it, we don't read it with a Messiah and a savior in mind. We read it with us in mind. And so we think, well, be like. And so we open to the story of David and Goliath, and we read, I just got to be like David. And the problem with that is we can so sanitize David's story. In fact, if you read through the accounts of David's life, it is not pretty at all. But we'll sanitize it and we'll go, I just got to be like that. I just got to face down my giants. And and I just got to destroy the giants in front of me. So we think be like, or we think, we think maybe just be good. If I could just be good, then I'll save myself. I can save myself. Or we read it, we think be more. And we'll get into this more next week as we wrap up the series. But sometimes we'll read it with either be good or be more. That is, I'll just save myself and then I'll sanctify myself. Yeah, I trusted in the cross and what Jesus did at the cross on day one, but now I'm on my own. Isn't this what we do? We, we trust in Jesus, and maybe it's a very emotional moment on one day. And then we think the rest of our life, it's up to us to get ourselves there. 
And, and I run into too many Christians. And I look back over too much of my life and we walk through life after salvation and, and just discouraged. And we can, we'll condemn ourselves because we look at our lives and we think, I'm, I'm not like, I'm not good, I'm not more. And, and we just beat ourselves up, don't we? See, while we are prioritizing our discomfort and we're opening the Bible to go, Lord, just give me the verse that's going to fix everything, it's going to give me relief. While we are prioritizing our pain, that's not where he starts. He starts with seeing a savior. He said, look, 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 I know, I know there's pain right now, but I actually want to move you toward seeing. If you could just look out outside yourself for a moment, you would see a savior. And this is the incredible thing about scripture as you look at it. In fact, let me grab this. Um, I'll get that in just a second. There was another story that I just heard about last week. And actually, it was a, I think it was the media in England picked up on a story from here in Colorado. What had happened was there was a hiker um, up on Mount Elbert here in Colorado. And they had, <clears throat> he had gone on his hike. And according to his itinerary, he was supposed to be back the night before. Well, they couldn't find him. And so what they did is they started calling, emergency services started calling his phone and pinging his phone to try to locate him and discover where he was at. Well, they end up rescuing the guy, but they ask him, why didn't you answer the phone calls? And he did that thing that you and I do so much. You know, when you get a call from a number and there's no name in your phone for that number, what do you do? Ah, it's a scam. It's a scam. It's It's telemarketers. See, because we don't recognize the number, because it's not relevant to us, I'm not going to answer. That's what this guy did. And as much as I giggle at that, I go, I do the exact same thing. And so here's what I want you to do. On your way out, you're going to get a card, and there are numerous versions of this out there um, online as well. But you're going to get a card that on the front, you'll see up here on the screen, it looks like this. Okay, this is the layout of your Bible as, as you have it. So if you were to open to the table of contents, what you would see is the Old Testament. And, and you can divide the different books into different categories. So you've got law, history, poetry, prophets. And even if you don't get one of these on your way out, if you just look up, um, you'll see in a moment, chronological order of the Bible. These will, all kinds of variations of this will come up. Okay, but what you'll get is the layout of Scripture. Now, if you flip it over, because a lot of times, you know what we think? We think, I'm going to go through the Bible in a year, and I'm just going to go like this. And what happens is it gets really, really confusing along the way, doesn't it? I mean, have you tried Bible in a year? Just going from front to back? Yeah, you're, you're done at about Leviticus, okay? It, that's the Bible in a year killer every time when I talk to people. Now, if you've made it to October, keep going. I'm not downplaying it. You've, you've made it farther than 99.9% of people, okay? But if you turn it over, you'll see this up here. What you've got is really a layout of Scripture, and it's, it's like, almost like a 3D of Scripture here. Okay, you see that, that big middle row? If you wanted to read the account, the story of Scripture through the Old Testament, you could read that middle row. And you would get the story. But here's, here's why I don't want you to just do that. Maybe, maybe that's part of what you do. But this would be like going through life and saying, well, I was born in 
this place on this date, and then we lived here, and then we lived here, and then we did this, and then we did this, and this happened, and this happened. But everything above and below that middle row, you know what it is? These are the other authors that God used to give us his word. I mean, it's over 40 authors across 1,500 years. And so you've got up above, you've got the prophets, and they're, they're speaking into the journey of God's people. Because, you know, he had made a covenant with them at the beginning. You'll find that out if you start on the left there. That he made a covenant with them. And then he, he said this. Look, you hold up your end of the deal. I'll hold up my end of the deal. Okay? And then that lasted like three minutes. Okay? You, you'll get like one paragraph. No, you'll get a couple pages. Into Genesis. And you'll discover we didn't hold up our end. We broke the law. And he, he made different covenants. And over and over, we broke the law. And he said, you know what? Despite all that, even after some wandering, I'm going to put you in the promised land. This land that you, you just have been dreaming of, that you want. And you know what happened? They got to the promised land. And this, you'll see this in the story. And they screwed it up. And they went, you know what? Everybody else has a king. We need a king. And so as you get to First and Second Samuel and First and Second Kings... It's the account of really God saying, you want a king? I'll give you a king. I'll give you a lot of kings. And the prophets, they speak into it. But see, it's not just informational. See down below there, Psalms? I mean, a number of Psalms come from King David. King David, a man after God's own heart, whose story has a lot of twists and turns and a lot of messy, messy stuff. And he didn't just, we don't just get the account of information. We get what his heart was going through. You, get, you can actually read during different events. Some of the Psalms line up with different events in his life of what he was going through as things went. Finally, you get to that gap there. And really what that is, is after all the kings you guys have had, do you still want a king? Because a human king, that you, like you've been looking for it, ends in captivity. It's over 70 years. For 70 years, God's people were in captivity. And then you get to Ezra and Nehemiah on that right side there. And you're beginning to get a glimpse of the rebuilding that was going on. After they'd been displaced from their land, some rebuilding. And then you get creative names. My favorite one of all, Malachi there. There's a guy named Malachi who speaks into it. No, it's Malachi. No offense to anybody who named their child Malachi. I'm just always going to call him Malachi because I love that name. Wish it was mine. All right, no. That's just the Old Testament. And then what happens is you get what is is referred to as 400 years of silence. 400 years of silence. Now, this is just opinion. I believe God was still moving. He was still doing some things. But we have 400 years of silence between the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament. And you get to the New Testament, and if we could go back one slide to that first slide. You see on the New Testament, it's, it's history, but it's a very focused, concentrated history because this is the arrival of the Messiah. And, and we get four gospels who focused on that Messiah for a three-year period. I mean, there's an account of his birth in a few of them, but the, the bulk of them are right there on his story. You get to Acts. And in Acts, we we see the birth of the very thing we're doing right now, the church. And then the the 21 epistles or letters that come out of that 
are really, it's like commentary on all the different things that were going on as the church began. And then we end in Revelation. And here's the thing through all of it. If you were to open this ancient, ancient story up and go, well, that's a weird name and that's not relevant to me. Do Do you see what you miss? You see what you miss? I mean, I get it. There's some weird names. There's some weird traditions, okay? This is, this is centuries and centuries and centuries ago, millenniums ago. Guess what? If, if earth is here in 2,000 years, they're going to be looking at us and they're going to be like, oh my gosh, they carried phones. Ew, okay? It just, there's so much that's going to be so weird to people in the future as they look back on our lives. But all the way through, what is Jesus doing for these disciples? He's saying, look, this is not just a story that, that makes no sense and full of weird names that God's just trying to make relevant to the specific situation you're going through. And it is relevant, but on a, on a whole different level, a much deeper level. This is a story of a God who loved the world so much, of a race that was so rebellious, of a God that was so patient, so holy, but so patient And he's frustratingly patient when you look at the amount of time it takes place over. This is the story of a loving God who redeemed a rebel race. And he did it by giving his son. And while it could have stopped right there, he said, and now the redemption of that race is going to be lived going forward. I'm going to give my spirit and, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna, we're gonna, the church is gonna be born out of all of it. And it's gonna affect all things for all time. That the church, Jesus will build it and not even the gates of hell, not a pandemic, not Michigan losing to Michigan State. Nothing is gonna stop it. Sorry, it's still, it's very raw from yesterday, okay? Nothing, nothing, nothing is gonna stop it. And at that point, these two disciples went, oh, huh. And the wheels are turning and the wheels are turning. And so they keep walking and they keep walking. And it's really interesting because somewhere along that timeline, Paul, the apostle Paul, and his, his life is incredible. We've talked about it before, but there was a point where Paul said, faith comes by hearing the word of God. But he he doesn't just say hearing once. He says hearing and hearing the word by Christ. In other words, it's God's word used by God's son, informed by his spirit. That's the power of the word. And, And it has effects. You can see it along their walk. Look at what happens in verse 28. Luke 24, verse 28. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. But look at this. They urged him. But they urged him. Have you had that urge before? Where it's just, I mean, there's so much going on in front of me, but God, you know what I really want? I just want to be closer. Jesus, I just want to be closer to you. They urged him strongly. Stay with us for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So we went in to stay with them. I'm telling you, you open this up and you begin to look for a savior and his story at any point in it. And you know what it'll produce? I'll tell you from firsthand experience and many people that have listened to, you go, oh, Jesus, come in, 
come in. I'm not just talking about faith for the first time. I'm talking about maybe you've read this and read this and read this and you've memorized it, but Lord, just grab my heart. Sometimes one verse, sometimes one word and one verse will do it. It's enough to, to urge us, to, to, sorry, create that urge in us to say, Jesus, come in, come in. I mean, I know we know each other, but I want, I want to go deeper with you. They urge him strongly, come in. Verse 30, when he was at the table with them. Do you know, you don't, you don't just have a, a savior who sits on a throne from afar, but he's a savior who over and over and over, he's at a table with people. Over and over, he's at the table. You know what that means? It means he wants to like, he, he doesn't just love you, you know, from the cross. He, he really likes you. He says, yeah, let's, let's hang out. Let's commune with one another. Let's fellowship with one another. While he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. See, another one of the things that the word does is it draws us into communion and community with him. The word of God, the body of Christ, in the form of the church. Verse 31, then their eyes, here it is, their eyes were opened. And they went, oh my goodness. Oh my goodness, there it is. Their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And he disappeared from their sight. When you start opening this up, and you begin seeing a savior, you know what you start doing with life in front of you? You start connecting all kinds of dots. And you realize nothing is disconnected at all. Everything is connected. And he is in the midst of all of it. And it might be a burden of something he wants to redeem. It might be a joy of something you see. It might be a stirring for something he wants to bring you into. But you'll recognize it, as these guys did. Verse 32, they asked each other, were not our hearts burning? Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? You know, it's really interesting. You know, we think we got to willpower our way through. And so we do, we do like, like these really difficult things, like try to do Bible in a year. And, and by the end of the year, you're like, I never want to open the Bible again. That was exhausting, right? But sometimes... Sometimes, like I said, all it takes is a verse or a word and it just grabs your heart and you go, I could, I could go this whole week on that alone right there because it so nourished your soul and your heart's on fire. Finally, verse 33, they got up and I just, I'm always amazed by this. They returned at once to Jerusalem. Now think about this. They're near Emmaus. And if you pay attention, or if you were to look at a map, there are a few different locations they think Emmaus um, could be. But, you know, of the four that they think it could be, they're an average of about seven or eight miles from Jerusalem. Okay, they've walked seven or eight miles from Jerusalem. It's nightfall. And what? They returned at once. Okay, keep in mind, they don't have Jordans on. Okay, they've got sandals or maybe barefoot. They returned at once. I don't know if it was a run. I don't know if it was a brisk walk. I don't know if it was, you know, like mall walkers, whatever you've seen, or maybe are part of silver sneakers. Is that what it is? Never mind. We can talk about it later. Okay. They returned at once. Can you imagine? After a long, hot, dusty walk. They returned at once. 
Because that's what happens when Jesus opens your eyes to see him in the middle of what's in front of you. And you know where he'll start? Right here. When you open this up. And you'd say to these guys, well, it's nightfall. doesn't matter. You know, we're seven miles from Jerusalem. doesn't matter. We got sandals on. doesn't matter. They didn't care one bit at once. So renewed, so refreshed that they went. And what started as a walk with dust in their eyes ended in a run with redemption in their hearts. That's what it'll do. When Jesus begins to show you who he is and where he is all over scripture and it informs where you see him all over your life. One quick story, and I'm done. Years ago, uh, I was watching one of the greatest TV shows ever made. Any 24 fans in here? 24. I know it's at least Graham and I. Graham and I, we used to, yeah, when he was in junior high, we used to watch this together. Anyway, so Jack Bauer, Jack Bauer like saves America without a bathroom break ever in 24. It's amazing if you've ever watched it, okay? And so it's towards the end of this season. And I remember it's toward the end of an episode and Jack is like, he's like one arm hanging from a helicopter. All right. Not the blades. I mean, the, you know, where you step from. Okay. So he's just hanging from this thing and it's like, he's down to two fingers. And what, what does Fox news or Fox network do? They cut to a commercial because that's how they keep you coming back. Okay. So they cut to a commercial and then I think they made one of the greatest blunders ever and I caught it. So it's near the end of the episode. You think, Oh, he's done. He's done. Even though we all know in our head there would be no show without that, like if, if he didn't make it. But you're thinking he's not going to make it. And then they aired a commercial, I think too soon. They aired a commercial for the following week's episode. And guess who was there? Jack Bauer. <laughs> and I remember thinking, boom, he makes it. He makes it. Do you want to know what the Word of God is? It's a statement. That as dire as it looks, as dire as it has looked, number one, you need a savior. You need a savior. And number two, you have one. You have one. And you can make it because of him. As the worship team comes up, let me close in prayer and we will wrap up this series next week. Heavenly Father. Heavenly Father, we, um, as we said a couple of weeks ago, maybe we don't realize what you gave us when you gave us your word. But Lord, I pray that in your, in your own way, in every single life in this room or watching online, Lord, would you just illuminate your word in a whole new way? Would you open our eyes to see as Jesus pointed out to these two disciples one day on a walk down the road where he's at in all of scripture? Lord, whatever... Whatever book you bring us to, whatever letter within scripture you bring us to, Lord, help us just to see a glimpse of our Savior all over it. Because that changes the way we read your word. That, that releases us from the chains and the shackles of thinking that we just have to be like, or we just have to be good, or we just have to be more. Lord, show us you all over the pages of this incredible, incredible word that you've given us. And as we, as we move through this week, Lord, I, I know there's pain. There's immense pain in here. And we, of course, pray for comfort and relief from all of it. But in the midst of it, 
when it's so hard to even see or open our eyes, Lord, open our eyes to see you. And when we see you, there truly is a deep comfort, assurance, and relief through all of that. We pray this in Jesus' name.